All right, friends, we are back for another episode of the In Focus podcast to take a fresh look at the Bible and some big Christian ideas and how they bring our world into focus and empower us to live a new, more eternal kind of life within it. I'm your host, Justin Laughlin, husband, dad, pastor, adjunct professor, and most importantly, follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Today, we continue a series on living in Babylon, specifically as it comes to us through the book of Daniel. Our text for this episode is Daniel 3, and I have to say that this is probably my favorite chapter in Daniel with the exception of chapter 7. There's an almost comical setup for the whole scene, at least comical in a tragically stupid kind of way. Uh, We'll get to that in just a second. And then there's also one of my favorite set of three verses in the whole Bible, which we will also get to shortly. And finally, if you know me or if you've been listening for any length of time, you probably know that I'm a huge fan of Jesus's parables. They're absolutely brilliant, they're poignant, they're inescapable, and Daniel 3 has a little bit of that parable quality to it. We are going to take note of three sets of stereotypical characters in this chapter, and as with Jesus' parables, the challenge before us, by the grace of God, is to first take a good hard look at ourselves in the mirror to see where and how we might recognize traits from these three sets of characters in our own lives, and then second, still by the grace of God, we want to do some repenting. We want to turn away from any bad thinking or bad behavior that God brings to our minds and our attention in order to begin thinking and living more like Jesus and more aligned with the example of faithful allegiance we are presented with in Daniel 3. So, that's where we're headed. Let's dive in for the first half of the chapter, beginning with Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps and prefects and the governors and the counselors and treasurers and justices and magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, Trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the music, all peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace." 
There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is this true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the music, fall down and worship the image that I have made, and it will be well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to even answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So, once again, Daniel delivers on an exciting, action-packed scenario. To really appreciate the setup of this chapter, we need to remember what has just transpired in the previous chapter. Remember that God gave Nebuchadnezzar extremely persistent and troubling dreams about a great image that represented not only Babylon, but the subsequent empires as well that would rule over and against God's people until their collective defeat by God and the establishment of God's eternal kingdom in their place. Now, Daniel, of course, divined and then interpreted this dream for King Nebuchadnezzar, prompting the king at that time to promote Daniel and to recognize the great, and I quote, God of gods, Lord of kings, and revealer of mysteries. Now, this was obviously a profound and memorable revelation that God had given King Nebuchadnezzar. And then what do we find a short verse or two later? Uh, this same king apparently has a very short, very inaccurate memory, and he is blindingly prideful and completely misses the point of the dream in chapter 2, uh, because we see that chapter 3 opens with King Nebuchadnezzar having been inspired to build the giant image 90 feet tall, all of gold, which represented Nebuchadnezzar's own role in the image from the dream, uh, that the great God of gods and Lord of kings incidentally threw down and conquered, but which King Nebuchadnezzar has now built and is demanding that all people bow down and worship. What a putz! The whole point was that God is God and Nebuchadnezzar is not and the empires that stand against God do so in vain. And the only thing Nebuchadnezzar seems to end up taking away from the whole experience in chapter 2 is, Oh, that statue about me was pretty amazing. I want one so that everyone can see it and worship. 
you gotta love how this whole scene is dripping with irony. And there's King Nebuchadnezzar for you. This is who we have to deal with in Babylon. The kind of people we have to keep dealing with when endeavoring to live faithful, allegiant lives in the midst of Babylonian-type scenarios. All of this goes from implicit to explicit uh, in verse 15, which we also read, as Nebuchadnezzar blurts out now explicitly, and who was the God who can deliver you out of my hands? Well, we're now all thinking, having read this, I think King Nebuchadnezzar, it's actually probably the God who brought down the whole string of empires like you learned about in your dream. I think he can deliver us. And further, it was your dream. So we're probably all more than a little bit confused about how you're even asking this question. But he is. That's just Babylon for you. Babylonian thinking, Babylonian reasoning, Babylonian pride. And moving on from King Nebuchadnezzar, we also have a second example of Babylonian character and behavior in the malicious accusers. So, a bunch of people, obviously, as King Nebuchadnezzar is building and demanding worship of the golden image, 90 feet tall, made after his part in the great dream, um, a bunch of people are just going along with the flow of things. They're uh, getting on with Babylonian life, and they quickly recognize that not everyone is so compliant to the status quo. Recognizing that God's faithful people are not bowing down to the golden image in verse 8, they run squealing to the king about the Jews, making malicious accusations, willfully and actively seeking the death of these people because they won't fall into line with the status quo. This shifts the focus once again back to Nebuchadnezzar, who now reveals on top of his blinding pride and ignorance, a significant issue with anger management. At the Jews' refusal to comply and worship the image, Nebuchadnezzar is thrown into a state of, and I quote, furious rage in verse 13, and then countenance-altering fury again in verse 19. Again, That's just Babylon for you. Forgetful, prideful, ignorant, jealous, malicious, accusatory, and furious. It's a good thing Babylon then is all behind us and we never have to deal with such people or such temptations today. Yes. Uh, And now for our third set of characters in Daniel 3 who break the mold and who provide the content for the verses that I noted when we began were some of my very favorites in the whole Bible. And the three characters in view now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were three of Daniel's friends who had been promoted at Daniel's request at the conclusion of chapter 2. And what that means in chapter 3 is that they are front and center now in a much less desirable place. Uh, So, as they refuse to bow down and worship the image, they stand out And people notice, they go to the king, and the king then demands that they come before him to answer for their rebellious behavior. 
the king, as we read, also um, offers them one more chance to comply along with the ominous threat that no God is able to deliver anyone out of his own furious power. And their response is my absolute favorite. So, I want to read those verses again. Verses chapter 3, 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't even need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, uh, if you would throw us into the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Man, those guys are full of chutzpah. Uh, so, in this chapter, we have King Nebuchadnezzar, we have the jealous, malicious accusers, and we have these friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, providing us an amazing, inspiring example of faithful allegiance to God. They, were, uh, draw- they weren't drawing attention to themselves. They weren't soapboxing. They weren't self-obsessed. They weren't self-righteous. They weren't accusatory right back at the Babylonians. They were simply faithful to God and to God alone. The spotlight was thrust upon them, but they certainly weren't seeking it out in some sort of righteous crusade. But man, they were unrelenting and they were unwavering. Once they were thrust into things, uh, once push came to shove and trouble came knocking at their doors, they wouldn't budge an inch and... They didn't even presume to know the outcome of the situation. They wanted the truth to be told that God could deliver them. They thought that God would deliver them, but they didn't presume to know if that was going to happen. And they wanted it to be known that they would rather die than compromise their faithful allegiance to God. Wow, these guys are awesome. So now let's jump back into the narrative to see how the whole thing unfolds. And we will pick it back up with verse 19, where we left off. And Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. And because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, The flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery burning furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true king, 
And he answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then King Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did come out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So, what a conclusion. God comes through. God comes through in person, no less. And in this, we get another glimpse, uh, another charming feature of King Nebuchadnezzar, specifically that he's extremely fickle. He loved Daniel and the boys in chapter one. He was going to kill them in chapter two before loving them even more and promoting them. He was going to kill them again in chapter three before lavishly loving on them some more. Uh, He's equally rash and brash, whether he is so in favor of God or he's opposing God. And that's just what we can expect. That's how consistent and trustworthy Babylonian type folks are and how they exercise power. We also note in this chapter, a development from chapter two. In chapter two, it was just Nebuchadnezzar who had the dream and who was so highly impacted by Daniel's divining and then interpreting the dream. And this time around, it's a bunch of leaders that watch the boys emerge from the fire. And this has a lot of people's attention. A lot of people now have gotten a glimpse of the true God's power and watchfulness over his people. So, takeaways. Uh, What do we and should we take away from Daniel chapter 3, and how might this chapter impact us in a manner similar to Jesus's parables, as I mentioned early on in this episode? Uh, First, King Nebuchadnezzar, and let's begin by stating the obvious. It's a lot easier to get the person out of Babylon than it is to get the Babylon out of the person. Case in point, uh, lest we deceive ourselves into feeling immune to being Babylonian ourselves or Nebuchadnezzar-like because we're Christians, uh, let's remember for a second the Crusades as perhaps the most prominent example in Christian history, when entire armies were sent out wearing a cross symbol 
in the name of the one who died on behalf of the world to kill that same world in the name of Jesus and for the supposed glory of God. Self-deception knows no bounds. It didn't then, and it still doesn't now. Mix in a little pride, a little self-righteousness, a little power, and a little offense, and we find today that people are just as ready to kill and to do all things anti-Christ in the name of Christ today as they've always been. Uh, Pride, we see from Nebuchadnezzar, and we know from Jesus and the New Testament, pride is anti-Christ, self-justification is anti-Christ, violence is anti-Christ, rage and fury are anti-Christ. This, of course, is super easy to recognize in our enemies, but let us be equally aware of their anti-Christness in those with whom we would be inclined to side, who favor our same biases, and especially in those who claim to be leveraging their pride and violence and anger in the name of good and especially in the name of Jesus. And of course, there are far, far, far too many examples of such supposed Christian leaders in the world today, and especially on social media, my favorite place. Uh, But uh, doing that stuff in the name of Jesus is just, it's a lie, it's deception, and it's antichrist. Second, the same holds true for the malicious accusation, folks. Malicious accusation is the order of the day for us. It's trendy, it gets clicks, it gets likes, it gets views, and it's just as antichrist as all the rest of the Nebuchadnezzar-like nonsense. So, don't do it. Don't be malicious. Don't maliciously accuse anyone of anything. Uh, Don't click it. Don't watch it. Don't share it. And don't maliciously accuse the malicious accusers which of course falls into the same antichrist in the name of Christ kind of thinking and behavior that so often marks out um, the Babylon that is still inside us. It's wrong. It's an example of self-deception to do such things. However good uh, we might think our motives to be, however justified we might imagine ourselves to be, And as I've often heard from people today, however necessary someone or we ourselves might claim our antichrist words and actions and attitudes to be in the name of defending good and the name of defending righteousness and the name of defending the United States of America, whatever argument you hear, um, being anti-Jesus-like is antichrist regardless of the degree or the um, amount of self-justification. Finally, uh, don't budge an inch. Be faithfully allegiant to Jesus, to God, without wavering, without compromising, and without apology. Speak the truth simply and plainly and humbly. Live in accordance with the truth. Remember who the God is that holds all of this world and all of history in his hands. Remember where the story is ultimately heading. Remember the king 
who is coming to reign and the nature of that kingdom. Speak it, live it as best you're able by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Hold to it no matter what it might cost you. And that is just a little bit of what we can take away from Daniel chapter 3. That's some of what we learn about living in Babylon. And now, uh, by the grace of God, let's go live it. Let's be a peculiar people. Let's be different. Let's be faithfully allegiant to our great God and King. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and that it's brought life in Babylon, a life of faithful allegiance to King Jesus, regardless of our circumstances and contexts, into a little better focus. I hope that God's word is increasingly empowering us to live a more eternal kind of life here and now until Jesus returns. If you're streaming today's episode from your podcast provider like Apple, Google, Spotify, or anyone else, it'd be great if you'd take a second to give the show a quick rating or review, and if you haven't yet, even become a subscriber. If you'd like, you can also share this episode with your friends on social media through either your podcast provider's share feature or by copying and pasting in the link below that I've included in the show notes. If you'd like to hear about something specific from the Bible or a particular big Christian idea in the future, please email me using the address that's also included in the show notes. And until next time, as we continue this series on Daniel and living faithfully in Babylon, thanks again for being a friend of the show and for tuning in to the In Focus podcast. May your world continue coming into better focus and may God lead you into an increasingly eternal kind of life before him.